Let me just do a little bit of just waking up a little bit better with Americans say. Here we go. Let's just do this quickly. Name an exercise that gym teachers made students do when you were in school. Push-ups? What's that? Climb the rope? Jumping jacks? Somebody said sit-ups? Okay, pull-ups. Here's what they said. They said jumping jacks, running, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, and climb the rope. Am I the only one in this room that hated, hated, hated climbing the rope? I could never do it. I just couldn't do it. Yeah, if I got off the ground back then, it was good. I'll never get off the ground now. Okay. Name something about school that kids might feign sickness to avoid. Okay. What else? Book reports, homework, a sp- having to give a speech. Do people get bothered by speaking in public? I can't imagine that because <laughs> I don't shut up. That's the problem. Okay. Uh, here's what they said. The teacher, did you ever have a teacher that scared you? Yes. One of our kids did this. One of our kids had a teacher that absolutely terrified them. And so uh, they were scared to go. And so we found out after a few days what the issue was. So I went in with the, with, uh, the child and said to the teacher, we need to talk. And I said, we got private and I said, this child of mine is scared. Scared of me? Why? Why would you be scared of me? And I'm going, I'm scared of you. Okay. And then I said, well, let me explain why Mikey here was scared. And he said, I don't want you to talk. I want to talk to a kid. And I was like, oh, now I'm terrified. You know, it was a man. It was a man. Okay. Teasing, bullying by others, tests, homework not done, certain days of the class, like Jim. I hated Jim. Okay, so I couldn't climb a rope. What might a kid bring to summer camp in case they get homesick? Teddy bear. A picture of their mom. Did you print those for your kids? You printed. You, you, yeah, they had pictures then? I've got to stop. Just what, what comes to mind, I shouldn't say. Okay. I was going to say, in my day, they had rocks, you know, and they just, you know, did them on those. Anyway, cell, cell phones. Okay. Pillow, blankets, teddy bear. Guess what number one is? Picture of the family. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay. What might a kid get in trouble for writing on? The desk? Wall? Furniture? Their body, <laughs> the walls, the desk, the clothes, the skin, the car, other kids. Okay, they, here we go. The 144,000, we've talked about them last couple of weeks. Um, what do you know about the 144,000? Okay, let's. Okay, what's that? Okay. Their their sexual purity, their virgins, Jewish, twelve twelve how many twelve thousand from twelve tribes. What else do you know about? Okay, they're selected by God. They're they're protected. They're sealed by God. Anything else? You guys are doing a great job with this. 
Okay, ma- males, if we haven't said, they're witnessing. So if we, if we covered most all of it, okay, um, just they show up early in the tribulation. Okay, and then the very first part, they're sealed. Um, they witness all over because, remember, their, their um, converts are from all nations, tongues, and tribes. So they make a worldwide witness. Their witness is effective, but what happens to many of their converts? Okay, they're going to end up being martyred in the very beginning. Okay, and so that's what we're talking about. We're going to pick up right there this morning. We're headed to Revelation 8. Revelation 8. Now, while we're turning there, um, let me just remind you, if you're joining with us, that this is the section of the Scriptures where Jesus sees the throne sitter, and the throne sitter has a scroll. He, initially, nobody can take the scroll. There's weeping and wailing because this scroll will in act, bringing things to their final culmination. And so it's going to be filled with judgments, but they lead eventually to the return of Christ. And so there's a brokenness in heaven like, oh, somebody's got to finish this whole work of redemptive history. And so Jesus takes the scroll. Everybody in heaven breaks out and prays, and Jesus starts opening the scroll. The seven seals are each individually different singular judgments that take place. They parallel Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is a passage that when Jesus was on earth, his disciples said, tell us the signs of the end of your coming. So when you read Matthew 24, don't read church period in there, read tribulation period. In, in uh, For instance, where two are in the field, one is taken, that isn't, a tri- that isn't a rapture passage, that's a tribulation passage taken into judgment at the end of the tribulation. Um, and so Matthew 24 gives a lot of parallels of some of the seals and some of the judgments that include a person saying, peace, peace, but he's conquering through peace. Then it turns to war and the rumors of war. Then there's the famines, the pestilence. Then there's a great number of deaths. Then there's devastation by earthquakes and those types of things. We had pointed out in Revelation chapter 5, in Revelation 5, it speaks that part of it, uh, this judgment, that are happening include the death of saints. And uh, you might look and say, well, that's not a judgment, but it's going to turn into one. So the death of the saints that are under the altar in heaven, they know that they need to be avenged. And they're saying, Lord, how long? And the Lord says, until more brethren die, then I will take vengeance upon those who have attacked you. That's in Revelation 5, that they are praying and saying, Lord, avenge us, stop this evil. And so then it keeps on going in the text. And shortly thereafter, chapter 7 answers the question, how did people get saved in the tribulation? How did they hear the witness since the church was gone? And Revelation 7 talks about the 144,000 who uh, he's giving information that there are the witnesses going all over. Somebody here offered some questions that I want to just pause and answer that were submitted in writing that said, ask this, when are they saved? Obviously, they have to be saved after the rapture takes place because if they were saved before the rapture, They would have been taken away because they were part of the church. So they have to be saved after the rapture. When, I don't know. Still, again, it's early in the tribulation period that they do their ministry, so it's early. The question asks, will they recognize each other? Will they have a a familiarity with each other? I don't know. Scriptures doesn't say. If I want to guess, can we get into conversations with people and can we sense a camaraderie with other Christians? 
Okay, so that may be, and, and maybe some, some suggest, I don't know, some suggest that that seal on the forehead or the name of God, that maybe believers can see that. Did they portray that in some of those videos? That, um, remember some of those last day videos? Did they portray that a scene with that, where that believers could read those signs? Okay, I, I don't remember, but uh, somewhere I remember reading some novel or something about it that they could, but we don't know. This question is interesting. If the rapture happens today, let's say, tomorrow, does that mean that they're alive today? Uh, it, it, uh, the, the key on that one is how long between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation? The beginning of the tribulation doesn't start with the rapture. What's it start with? The signing of the covenant. Could there be a period of days, weeks, months, years? There could be. Does other prophecy give gaps of time? They do. Other end times prophecy allows for gaps. Uh, The prophecies of Jesus coming, his first coming, there was gaps in time in some some of those events. And so it could happen. But let's, let's just be um, logical in this with Scripture. If, let's say, the rapture happens today and within this next year the tribulation kicks off, are they alive today? They would have to be. Because they have to be adult, uh, have the adult abilities to be able to communicate. Yes, no? Okay, so beyond that, that, that poses, could Antichrist be alive today? He could be. Now, don't run and say, you know, don't run out and say, Joe Biden is the Antichrist, or uh, what's his name in the Ukraine? Yeah, he's the Antichrist. Don't run out and say that, okay? We don't know that, okay? Um, you, don't have, you don't have Bible backing that up. But if there, if we, and we think this. We think the tribulation is right around the corner. We think that the coming of the Lord is around the corner. We don't think it can get any worse. Okay? But we've been saying that for several years. And so if it were to happen that the rapture were to take place, then I assume these guys are alive. Beyond that, I don't know. And we don't have definitive explanations of all the details. So Revelation starts with the opening of seal number 7, the last seal, after he's given that information. And, when I, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm all the way back in 6. It's at the same spot in the page. None of you ever do this, but I don't memorize all the references. I go by where it's at the page. None of you ever do that? Okay, it was there on that page. I don't remember where, but so, anyways, chapter 6 and 8 in my Bible are on the same spot. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about a space of half hour. I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And the angel came and stood, and there was given unto him much incense, and he offered it with the prayers of the saints and uh, on the altar. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and cast it upon the earth. Um, the, the word for censer, by the way, is fire pan. It was used in the temple when they were scraping the coals that were burning. Does that make sense? Some of you do this even when you have coal fires, and you scrape it away. That's the word for censer. It's the idea that you have burning coals that are, that are in this pan. 
And he cast them upon the earth, and there were voices, thunderings, lightnings, earthquake, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So in this immediate interval between the opening of, or the explanation, and now the beginning of the seventh seal, John, you, you pointed out last week, the stunning silence, apparently because of what they understand, how bad this seventh seal is going to be. And then he sees that, he hears that silence, he sees the seven angels, and before before he explains, he says there's the prayers of the saints being offered up as pictured by incense going up, which fits the Old Testament that when they prayed, they would offer the incense as if it were carrying the prayers up to heaven. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was doing that work early in the morning with the morning prayers of the Jews. And we pointed out that the angel moves to the altar, and uh, just like they did in the tabernacle on earth, in the heavenly tabernacle, um, that was the uh, image or the the um, master plan of what was built here on earth. It says, oh, the prayer of all the saints. I understand this to be this, that it's the prayers of the martyrs who we talked about and learned about in chapter 5. Their prayers saying, Lord, how long until you avenge? And so with their prayers, the angel steps forward, and now the angel grabs the coals from off the fire, and he throws these coals of burning embers, burning fire upon the earth. And when that happens... God had earlier said, wait a little season, but now it happens. What does it mean? God is now taking and moving, and he is responding to the prayers of those saints, and now is the time of avenging. Now is the time of of, uh, working to stop this evil over a period of time, and so he's going to cast judgment upon the earth as pictured by those coals, burning coals that come to the earth. And so the response that happens is the coals go down, heaven all of a sudden goes from silence to a lot of noise. And then the angels, they're, uh, they're going to start blowing their trumpets. And so all of this is indicative that God is judging the unbelievers upon the earth, those who have been engaged or involved with martyring the saints, opposing the saints. And so we pointed out last week the results of this throwing is loud voices, thunderings, lightnings, earthquakes, all indicative, used at times, of getting attention, judgment, um, God working, God moving. That's total contrast to the half hour of silence, but also comes voices or commands to say, okay, let's blow this trumpet, blow this trumpet, let's command nature to start doing certain things. And so this introduces the intensified attacks in the second half of the tribulation that are going to take place. I get this out of the text. Maybe I'm, the, maybe I'm the weird one in it. I get the impression that this text is trying to indicate that this is a very fearful time. The stunned silence, the, the reaction of people. And it makes perfect sense to me because how do people feel when there are really raging storms? Earthquakes, thunders, lightnings. That I mean, you're in a storm where the thundering and lightning is really intense. That can make you rather nervous. And then as well, they have the earthquake that's going to take place. And so I, I would ask you to just imagine with me, if we go back in history, in Bible history, for sure, if we go back in Bible history, can you think of a time when there was judgment falling upon peoples, a group of people, individual, a nation? Okay, let's take Sodom and Gomorrah. 
That's the first one I heard here. I, several of you said things, but I heard this one. Sodom and Gomorrah. What, what do you think the people felt if they had time to feel anything? When all of a sudden fire is coming down from heaven. Fear? Okay. Just, okay, give me another judgment. One that's a lengthier judgment. Go back all the way in early history. Okay. Well, the plagues. Let's do Egyptian plagues. Is that what you mean? Okay. Did they have time to cogitate, to think about these plagues? There wasn't instantaneous death, was there, in all the plagues? No. Did they suffer? How do you think they felt? What's that? Why us? Okay. I'm sorry. Misery? Okay. Do we know from Scripture that they were, in, they were in horrible pain and agony? We do know that account from Scripture. Do we know that in their pride and in their arrogance, they changed their mind after the first few plagues? That the Pharaoh was getting advice from his magicians? Do you remember that? Okay. And they were saying, give in to this Moses and the Pharaoh and his pride because his heart was... Okay. Um, can you think back even further? The flood. Okay. Did they have opportunity to think about the rising waters? Okay, there was days of it. Okay, now whether they were captured away by, the, you know, a breaking of the, of the earth and a fountain of water that took some out immediately, how do you think the people felt who were trying to swim during those, any of those initial days? Terrified? Okay, absolutely desperate. So we're thinking that what's happening in these different times in history, I mean, we even know that the Jews did this. The Jews in the invasions, there was times that they were in desperate, dire straits. And they were like, Lord, please. The destruction of Jerusalem, it's interesting if you want to read history. There's the destruction of Jerusalem that when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem, as Jesus predicted, um, because of their rejection of him, some of what they suffered in that period of time was absolutely horrible. It was horrific. And uh, very, for some, very humbling. But some of them responded. I think, Patty, like you said, some would respond, why me? Did you say the why me? Some were like, we're your chosen people. Why would you do this? And just totally hard-hearted to the judgment of God. So we're getting to the trumpet judgments. Let me just introduce them, and then we're going to start one by one. The trumpet judgment, the word that's used for trumpet, I give you up here. It isn't typically used in the Old Testament era, ancient Near East, for a musical instrument that you would use orchestration-wise. This was one that was used more in the sense of special events to call attention to. There are multiple different times where this specific trumpet is referred to in the Bible when they would do certain events, call the tribes together, when they would at times call for warfare, we have to go to battle. The sound of the alarm of let's gather for battle. The arrival of the feast. The uh, law being given, it was trumpeted. The, sound, the, uh, the new king being heralded. The idea of at Jericho when they went around and were blowing their trumpets. It's this particular instrument. Uh, when they would announce a new moon. Sounded when the Lord moved in heaven. What strikes you about these events? Were they entertainment? Yes, no? What, what, what was trying to get across by the sound of that trumpet? Okay, something special is happening. Okay? Obviously something special. What was it to do with the... How was it to affect the people? Get their attention. 
okay? Get their attention, and if they had to do something, to move to where they needed to act. So it was calling for attention and action on their part whenever this trumpet was used. And it sounds, again, it's used again in several different passages about the future. And it's, again, it's not a musical instrument that you're going to sit here and say, oh, wow, Sam can really play that trumpet. Yeah, and I love how he can do that. This is an instrument used to get attention and to call to action, which I find very interesting in its usage through the Scripture, that these trumpets are to get the attention of the people and call them to action. So if it's happening to the earthlings at that time, what does God want them to know and do? As he's, as he's sounding this trumpet and something comes, what's God's goal? Change their ways and repent. Change their ways, repent, come to repentance, to know this is the Lord God. Okay, so that's being announced all the way through. There are seven of them that we're going to talk about. They are given to angels to blow. When they happen, as I understand the, the, the chronology of the, of the tribulation, it's in the second half of the tribulation. These covered then that three-and-a-half-year span. They are targeting, for the most part, the world at large, uh, the kingdom of Antichrist and his world at large. They, uh, they get increasingly worse one upon the other, and especially as they compound upon one another. So these judgments are far worse than anything that they've had before. They're because of the greater intensity of them, which we're going to see starting this morning. One-third of all the water, one-third of all the crops, one-third of all the trees, one-third of ocean life, one-third of everything is affected. We're going to see the intensity is a greater number of deaths. In the first judgments, one out of four died. Is that wrong? That's wrong. Um, uh, Yeah, one-fourth. I'm sorry. One-fourth part of the people died. One-third of the remaining people will die in this three-and-a-half-year period, as we'll see in a few minutes. The judgments are universal. They're not a local judgment. They are going to be very clearly indicating it's universal, it's worldwide, to the point that they have nowhere to run. Something that shows their intensity is that it says the people will seek for death. Why? Why will people want to die? To get it over with? What's that? Too miserable to keep on going? Okay, I think you've got the summary of that. So that the people want to die, but they can't find death. Death will flee from people. Can you imagine that? How bad that is? Okay. Um, so the other thing that happens in chapter 8, it says, woe, woe, woe. Woe doesn't mean stop the horses. The word means terrible anguish. It means a loud wailing that they would do at funerals. It is a sign, the word that's used, it is a sign of desperation. It is a sign of, of absolute devastation. What makes it bad is one woe. What makes it really bad, woe, woe, woe. So he's trying to get you and I to understand. This is, give me a word, give me a description. The, yeah. Okay, this is just amazingly bad. And so when we start talking about them, we understand that these are going to include nature, all of them. Not one of the seals included nature, but all of these are going to be nature against man. 
which, how do you fight nature? Um, as well, <coughs> what's going to happen here, demonic attacks. It's going to be very clear that there's going to be demonic attacks that are going to be taking place, as we'll see when we get into them. Excuse me. As we get into discussing them, there is outright blatant demonic attacks that are going to be taking place in force of forces. They will end then with the judgment of the nations. So dissecting them one by one, turn to chapter 8, verse 7. What is the first trumpet when it blows? First angel sounded, there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. They were cast upon the earth. Third part of the trees are burned up and all green grass. What do we have? Okay, got the hail mingled with, the hail fire mingled with that. Any time in history did this happen? Something similar to this happen? Okay, one of the plagues of Egypt had the hail fire that came down. Okay, and this time, this isn't just locally around the land of Goshen. How many are affected? What is affected? Excuse me. Okay, one-third of what? Okay, all vegetation. All vegetation is burnt up, one-third of it. Okay, think this through for a second, okay? It sounds similar to the hail fire, but this is much worse because this is universal. The world has already had famines in the first three and a half years, right? Yes, no? Famines, pestilence, diseases. Okay, now one-third of the green grass, what's left in vegetation, is burnt up. Okay, so you think this through. If it's saying it's green, we're not in the dead of winter. We're in the season when people have hope that they're going to get some relief. Yes, no? Does that make sense? Okay, so whether it happens in springtime or it comes at harvest time, it would be even worse if it's harvest time. Because if it's harvest time, it means we have some hope of getting relief from the famines. So this passage is saying while people are getting one little little bit of inkling of hope, what happens? It's just dashed. It's totally dashed. The result will be devastating to have so many fires and destruction. If there are one-third of every vegetation that we know on planet Earth today, what would be some of the side effects that would be devastating? Thinking this through. Think one-third of fires across the United... Fires across one-third of the United States. Okay, there's going to be more starvation. I'm sorry. Okay, the animals are going to be fearful, running crazy, okay? Somebody over here? Loss of homes. They're going to go up in these woods. Okay, more, more atmospheric pollution. Yes, no? Okay, what else? I'm sorry? A shorter growing season? Will it affect the growing season coming up? Uh, what's that? Right? Right? Okay, so if we just take what you did, okay, what do they do for construction, for, the, for any additional construction? What do they do in this regard for economic disasters? I mean, would this have economic de- catastrophe to one-third, fires all over, loss of vegetation, loss of natural watersheds, okay, farmland, soil, you know how that affects the Dust Bowl is going to be intensified. Environmental pollution with the smoke, with the haze, it's going to create more and more breathing issues. (coughs) Excuse me. Who's going to fight these fires if so many people are dying? An animal, man, the loss of life. 
This is absolutely horrific. This is only one of the trumpets. It's just the first one. So let's follow the next one. What's the next one? What do you have in the next verse? Next two verses. What's going to be cast? A great mountain is going to be cast where? Into the sea. So we have a great burning mountains cast in the seas. What's the result? One third of what is affected. Okay. One third of the creatures. Anything else? One third of the ships. Okay. So you have, you have that effect that there's going to be one third of all sea-related life and one third of all sea-related activity is going to be gone, disrupted, uh, annihilated, whatever terms you want to use. So you start thinking about that. Question some ask, is it a literal mountain symbolic? Either way, it's going to be effective. Could, it be, could a literal mountain, like an asteroid, something huge, affect the seas? Yes, okay. Um, so if literal, then some meteor, some asteroid is going to hit the earth. If so, you have tsunamis. You have coastal upheaval all over. Okay, that would be just devastating. One-third of all life in the seas are gone. And this would be devastating. How would this affect the world's situation? If one-third of all the... Let's, let's deal with just the sea life. One-third of the sea life is gone. It's, an, it's another whammy to the food supply. Okay, what's that? Anything else? The water? Now, this is sea life. So this is salt water. Okay. The next one's going to get to where you're, where you're suggesting. Okay. But this one, very specifically, we're talking ocean water, salt water. Can you think of any other impact it could have along the coast? But let me ask you this. Does, do fish stink when they're left out? Where do dead fish go? What might they, Okay, could they wash to shore? Could you, so you're adding to haze, now you're adding to the smells. Put yourself in this spot, if that's the case. That is just absolutely devastating. Let me give you stats from just last year. Do we have a supply provision problem over the last couple of years? Did COVID affect the supply chain? What, uh, what business did it really affect that created supply change, uh, chain issues? <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. It's the shipping industry, everything related to it. Let me give you some facts of the recent, the recent last couple of years. In 2014, there was that many ships that were called the International Merchant Fleet, representing the 150 different countries that are involved in having some type of shipping industry. Now, since that time, um, there are now one, with over 2 million employees that are involved. Um, not in the ports, but on the ships themselves. 80% of international trade is currently being carried by the shipping industry. 80%. Okay? The percentage is even higher for most developing countries. 
Between 1990 and 2022, the volume of cargo being transported regularly on any given day is, is, went from 4 billion to 11 billion tons. Is there a lot of dependence upon the shipping industry? Okay, what happens if a third of it is gone overnight? What does it do to... What's that? Economically, just destroyed. What about on a practical, everyday basis? Okay, people can't get things. Food is already scarce. What else would we be wanting? Think about, think about one product that really is important that the environmentalists don't, they keep denying its importance. Oil. Do we need oil? How does it affect our everyday life? Okay, plastics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We want to we turn to everything battery operated, but to get power for the batteries, okay, there, there's, there's this. Can you imagine living in a society where all of a sudden, where we are used to living, we go back to, you know, we go back to Little House on the Prairie. There's not electricity. Heat is an issue. The weather change is an issue. People are going to be wonderfully happy having their lives turned totally upside down. So just this whole idea of just the shipping industry, especially the oil industry, is devastated. Okay? And so it has profound effect. What about security between nations? If one-third of navies are gone, that leaves nations vulnerable to occupying, being occupied if they were wanting to resist somebody like an antichrist. Major loss of food source. There we go, the devastation and the pollution. Now let's add to it what happens in verse 10. In verse 10, it gets a little bit worse. The, angel, the third angel sounded, and there falls what? Okay, what's it look like? Burning as it were a lamp, it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the water, fountains of water. Its name is called Wormwood. What does it, what does it strike you as um, when you look and see John's description, who doesn't understand everything we understand today, a star falling as if it was a burning lamp? Meteor, asteroid, okay, that it's going to come, it's going to hit, and it's called Wormwood, which is important. The results of this one. What do you have? Another one-third. But define what one-third. The rivers and the fountains. What's the difference between the rivers, the fountains, and the seas? Fresh water, salt water. This is what you were referring to just a moment ago. So is the, are the rivers, is what we need for everyday sustenance, is it affected during this time? Okay, so one-third of it is going to be poisoned by this wormwood. Just to give you some information, run with it however you want. The word wormwood, was, it was a shrub that was toxic, okay? Like you could poison a well, poison water with this, with this particular uh, substance. As well, it's used in the Old Testament where wormwood comes up, and in each of the occasions, there is bitterness, there is poison, there is grief, there is devastation associated with wormwood. Um, so the word itself indicates disaster. 
some type of disaster that's going to take place. Is it an asteroid, um, which, by the way, in the New Testament, they did call, it's in other extra-biblical literature, they did call asteroids burning lamps. So we know that that's the truth. So is it, some say, well, it's a physical mass, like an asteroid. Some say it's an angelic being. Um, I don't know either one. The, the asteroid breaks up if it's an asteroid and it's poisonous and it hits the atmosphere and it's burning and breaking up, it could scatter to all the different areas of the world. Right, that poison? Yes? Okay, so that happens. Now think about this. One-third of the fresh waterways are all affected. So one-third of the water becomes polluted, poisoned. And then that, how does that affect us on an everyday basis? Now, we're not going to be there if we're born again. But when I say us, mankind, how does that affect mankind living at that time? Drinking water is going to be scarce. Cooking is going to be affected. How else? Personal hygiene is going to be affected. Okay. There's going to be the, the uh, dehydration, the death from the lack of water. Yeah, and the animals are already crazed. Does this intensify them? Okay. Does it, people are already crazy. Does dehydration affect, affect people's senses? Does it change their moods? Okay, does it change how they feel? Okay, so if you put a word over this, how will people feel in that time? Throw, throw your words, whatever you want. Okay. Okay, all these words just fit the situation. Just to give an illustration of the importance of water that we take for granted. Okay, let's go back just 100 years ago. Okay, and let's, uh, just, let's just pick Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, okay, and what they used to do. In 1900, the city, city of Philadelphia... <coughs> I'm so sorry. The city of Philadelphia was still dumping a lot of its wastewater upstream from the city. And uh, this wasn't uncommon. People were just thinking the water... I don't know what people were thinking. Okay. That's when many U.S. cities started to develop systems that we now today call, you know, uh, sanitation systems. So between 1900 and 1940, a lot of sanitation systems were implemented in the United States. In that period of time, they cut the mortality rate by 40%. Was it all uh, water-related? I don't know. But does water affect mortality rates? Okay, let me give you another stat. By 1936, child mortality rate dropped by over 50% in the areas where they had access to clean water. Tremendous effect. We underestimate this. And, and part of it is because we have it. Okay, when you want clean water, how far do you have to go? Okay. And so uh, it, it's just, it's a different world that's going to be like when all of a sudden everything is bitter, tainted. You, it's just the, the, the personal misery, level, you know, if you, if, you have a, if you have a gauge with personal misery level of how people feel, 
What's that gauge going to be reading? It's off, off the chart. It's a good point, a good way of putting it. So how would your life change if there was very little clean water? Oh, man, this would be drastic for us. Be drastic. Uh, just tremendous. Now we go to number four. Number four seal. Uh, I'm sorry, trumpet. The fourth angel sounded, verse 12, and a third part of the sun was smitten, the third part of the moon, the third part of the stars, so a third part of them was darkened. The day shone not for a third part of the day, and night likewise. And beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of the heavens, saying, Woe! Woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels that are yet to come. I would have thought, woe, woe, woe for the four that have already come. But they're saying even more. So let's, let's you know, you, you read it. One third of all the light holders are smitten. Okay? And so we look and say, what's that mean? What are possibilities here? Okay, well, why? The, give, me, give me the interpretation of this. Not the results, but give me what could be this. Could this be stars getting out of orbit? Okay. Some, some might suggest it's stars that are vanishing or out of orbit or exploding. Okay, you're saying if one-third of the moon were to fall off, that would affect, have drastic effect. So could it be the physical elimination of one-third of some of them in some way or shape? Could it be one-third of their visibility? Is that a possibility? That's a possibility. Okay. Um, so looking at this and saying, okay, we know exactly what this is referring to. The answer is really there's some, there's some holes here. We aren't sure exactly what it means. Well, you might be. I'm not sure the Bible gives us exactly what it is saying, um, how that affects. But this much I know that other prophecies indicate this same type of thing in the last days. There shall be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. The earth shall quake before them. The heaven shall tremble. The sun, the moon shall be darkened. The stars shall withdraw their shining. Other passages, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. I will cover the heaven and make the stars thereof dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over thee, and set darkness upon thy, thy land, saith the Lord. What is the natural reaction to deep, deep darkness? Okay, can it be discouraging? Scary. Okay. Let me, let me show this. Certain regions in the United States, do they, do the sun, is the sun eliminated during part of the year? What, what happens in those areas? What do people suffer from? Depression is really high. Suicide is really high, much higher than the national average in those realms, such as Alaska and some of those different spots. And so if there is, could there be one-third of stars lose their intensities? Again, I don't know how this works, what it actually means. You know, some have suggested that God changes the rapidity of stars in their, in their orbits. Like one-third of the day is changed. Can God change the timetable? Has he ever done that before? 
Okay, he has. He has hold things. I don't know. I don't know what it all what what the specific application is. But what would be the results? You said if the moon is affected, it affects the tides in the oceans. You said that the weather would become colder is a possibility. What else might be the effects? What's that, Julie? The wind patterns? Okay, okay. Could we all of a sudden have a different climate than what we're used to? Could we in January have 70-degree weather? Oh, wait a minute. We did. Okay. <laughs> okay, but on a, on a uh, more impacting basis. Can you think of anything else? If there's extended darkness? Okay. Let we, extended darkness could be a greater fear. It could be greater depression. What always escalates at night compared to the day? So security is gone. Okay. It, it's just, and, and would criminals have an even greater motivation to be aggressive? What would it be? Survival. Survival, right? Okay. So all of these different things could be just amazing as far as how this would affect the world at that time. And, it, you know, what two-thirds of the vegetation is left... Could it be affected by this? Uh, this is an incredibly bad time. Okay, uh, All of a sudden, what we take for granted is gone. So the angel's crying out, whoa, whoa, whoa. You think it's bad now? It's only going to get... Yeah, that's encouraging. Okay, So those people at that time, God's trying to get their attention. For sake of our time, let's do this. Let's just pause right at this point. And let's ask ourselves, what do you learn from these four trumpets? What do you learn from these four trumpets? What does it say to you? How does it speak to you? How does it motivate you? Okay, go ahead. Okay, we don't want to be here when it happens. Which should mean what, Candace, then? What should all of us make sure we take into account? Okay, we need to make sure we are born again. We don't want to risk being in this time period. Excellent. What else? Okay, what would you say? We don't want others to be there. So how does that apply? We need, to be more, we need to be more engaged in witnessing and warning people. What else? Go ahead. Yeah, there's the song we're going to sing. One of the songs we're singing this, mer- this morning is, His mercy is more. Is this a display of grace? That God is holding back. Remember, he, this is only after he's given you know, a period of time for people to respond. He sent 144,000 witnesses. And how have they responded? They haven't responded. Okay, Is he merciful in giving them the chance? Absolutely. Anything else that strikes you? Yes, ma'am. Uh, the question, good question. Okay, okay. Very good question. The question is, does God work uh, hardening the heart of those individuals? Like he did with the statements in the book of Exodus is, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Is there any statement in the book of Revelation that God hardens their heart?
there is no statement that he hardens their heart. But back in Second Thessalonians, um, this is the only one that comes to my mind. And it's risky when anything comes to my mind and comes out of my mouth without thinking it through. As when I say improper things to this dear sister, implying about age. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. Remember where he says, The wicked shall be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. Who's the wicked that's going to be revealed? Antichrist. Thank you, Bob. Antichrist. And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So Jesus will take him out. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the truth, the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause God sends them strong delusion. Strong delusion that they would believe a lie. So is there a spiritual activity that God is God is not working the same way he works in the hearts today with conviction, with the Holy Spirit coming to their hearts and trying to bring them to light? It would seem that that is pulled back to a degree. How much? We don't know. We don't know. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Okay, good point, good point. Back in Revelation 6, when the people went into the caves and the hills and they said, the rocks fall upon us to um, save us from the wrath of the Lord. And uh, Pooch's comment was, what kind of rational thinking is this? So that implication is that people aren't thinking normal at all at this point. How much is God's spirit not working? How much is God allowing the demonic forces to be very, very influential? That's all happening. I don't know to what degree. I'm sorry, by what? By this time, they would know the Word of God. Like it's been taught to them by the... Well, we're thinking that that's the case, yeah. Yeah, they may have heard that. Okay, your comment was, have they all heard from the 144,000 by this time salvation is in Christ and death in hell? They could have, you know, each and every individual, I don't know, but the gospel is going worldwide. Um, Do people today have opportunity to hear the truth and still reject? Yes. This is this is a more intensified area. Yeah, yeah. This is a more intensified time. Can they respond that they blame God? That's what we talked about in that other. You know, who shall stand before the Lord? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, even in their physical condition could be playing into their thought pattern. Some of it I just don't know. I, I don't know. Let me give you these final thoughts that I had that that amplify what you already said. As bad as it is today, and I think it's bad, okay? I, I'm, this is me. This is my stupidity. I pray for the next generation raising kids. They have it harder than when we raised our kids. For us who are, 
grandparents. The parents have a whole new set of issues they're dealing with. Okay. We should be very thankful we won't live in this time period. Okay. Be very thankful that you responded to grace. You had the opportunity to hear and respond. That should, that should thrill your heart. Number two. Okay. So we give praise. Here we go. Although things get really bad, God is still in control. Interesting, everything is limited to one-third. If God were not in control, then what, would, what could have happen? Then all of it has gone chaotic. Then everything. Then there's, but God is in, think, think the character of God. In mercy, he's still allowing two-thirds of all this stuff to be there. Yes, yes. And that's what he just said in, in his command. In his love, he is still giving out the gospel. He's going to send the angels. They're, he's going to give opportunity. He is still going to save people. He is still giving them a chance, considering that they've been rejecting up to this point. Okay? Um, God is in total control now. If he's in control of all that happens there, I take consolation. He's in control of what happens now. Yes, no? Okay, our God is in control. One day God will deal with the wicked of the world. When he does, it's not going to be pretty. Okay, with that, we should not get upset when the wicked prosper. We should feel pity for them. When we say, oh man, how come some of, some of these guys get away with murder? They won't. They won't. When we enter into the temple of the Lord, we realize what their future is, and we can't have anything but pity for them. That, that they are that they are going to be damned. We need to warn them. God will use suffering and natural disasters to get people's attention. I think that's part of what he's doing in this judgment, trying to get their attention. With that in mind, if God does that in the future, what might he be doing now? The same thing. He probably does so today. We should take the opportunity when there are disasters to try to get the gospel out. I mean, let's just take a very personal disaster. What is a family's personal disaster? What is probably one of the greatest difficulties any family can face? The loss of a loved one. Can God use that to bring others to salvation? Sure. Okay. So we need to be sharing the gospel. God won't stop until his plans and purposes are achieved. I find great hope in this. God has a plan and purpose for us today. He will do whatever it takes to get us to that point. Thank the Lord. He has a plan. And he's moving and working in our life. We should submit. Okay? So, looking forward to the coming of the Lord. Let's pick up next week, right where we're leaving off here, and talk about the other trumpets. Thank you for all of your input and for your deep study today. Thank you. Let's get ready for worship.